So welcome to the Orton Family Foundation's Heart and Soul Talks conference call series. For these talks, we bring in practitioners to share their stories and to focus on key tools and solutions aimed at building better communities. Community Heart and Soul is the Orton Family Foundation's signature community development and planning method that empowers residents to plan their future based on what matters most to them. My name is Fran Stoddard, and today in this hour-long event, we focus on a variety of partnerships that can strengthen your town and your community heart and soul process. A significant benefit of Community Heart and Soul is the partnerships that are created to move a town forward. Heart and Soul helps organizations and institutions connect and work together in ways that they might not have otherwise, leading to long-term and sometimes unexpected results. Of course, if you are not involved in a Community Heart and Soul um, effort, uh, that's okay. I'm sure that all of this information will also enrich whatever you need to do in your town. Our speakers today are Lori Zierer. She is the Executive Director of the Pennsylvania Humanities Council. Hi, Lori. Hello. We also have Delilah Pupor. She is the Executive Director of Heart of Biddeford in Biddeford, Maine. Hi, Delilah. Hi. Nice to be here. And also from Pennsylvania, Richard James is a volunteer for the Heart of Williamsport in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. Hi, Richard. Hello. How are you? Great. And we'll get to all three of them in just a minute. So because we have over 100 folks registered today, uh, we're going to put all of those people on mute to keep the audio as clean as possible, but we welcome you all to this call. In your email is a link to our Google document, a shared online document for note-taking and questions so you can interact with us. You can open that document in your browser to follow along while Orton's Caitlin Davison takes notes. These notes will be proofed and refined after the call, providing a great resource for you in the future. And you can also add your own comments or questions to the document in real time. It's a good idea to skim through there now to see what questions have already been submitted to avoid redundancy. We'll leave this document up after the call for your continued input and reference. Then in a few days, we'll send out links to the call notes and the podcast to all registrants. If you're having any trouble with Google Docs during the call, clicking the refresh icon should make everything better. It, um, or if you're having technical issues, you can email Caitlin Davison at cdavison at org. But please send your questions or comments for this call via the Google document. So thanks so much. So now on to our guests. Uh, Lori... Zierer joined the Pennsylvania Humanities Council in 1995 as a program officer and after playing a number of leadership roles in the organization, was named executive director in 2012. Over the years, she's produced Humanities on the Road with the Pennsylvania Cable Network, Humanities Live with WHYY Radio, and statewide initiatives like Our Stories, Our Future. In addition, she's directed award-winning projects like Raising Our Sites, Community Histories of Pennsylvania, and Storyline. In 2015, the Pennsylvania Humanities Council partnered with the Orton Family Foundation for in-kind support with civic engagement grants for communities across Pennsylvania that are now actively involved in community heart and soul. Lori, the, the Pennsylvania Humanities Council is building certainly cross-sector partnerships and bringing communities together through the humanities. Could you give us that big-picture view and talk about your work in creating partnerships to strengthen towns and, and how the humanities uh, come into play there? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I first want to thank you, Fran, and staff at the Orton Family Foundation for this opportunity to tell our story here in Pennsylvania. And I also want to thank, too, the many that are joining us. I know that um, um, so many are curious about um, and to learn more about building partnerships, and I know some of you are listening from Pennsylvania, so a special shout-out to you and staff at State Humanities Councils. Um, you know, before um, I, you know, I talk about um, you know, how our um, thinking about um, the humanities informs what we do in our partnership um, with the Orton Family Foundation as well as communities across Pennsylvania. I have to tell you, I'm not only executive director of the Pennsylvania Humanities Council, but I'm at heart a small town girl. <laughs> 
from Haldysburg, Pennsylvania, population under 6,000, home of the slinky. Um, and, you know, it, that tells you a lot about me, but it also tells you a lot about, um, I think, our approach. Because growing up and coming from a small town, I learned way back then that it's not about me, it's about we. And it's that kind of thinking that informs our work today at the Pennsylvania Humanities Council. We believe that the humanities can inspire people to come together to transform their communities. Now, we've um, uh, um, been around, um, the, we're an affiliate of the National Endowment for the Humanities, um, which was founded 50 years ago. And we've been around in Pennsylvania for um, uh, almost 45 years. This is a this is a shift in, in direction um, for us. Um, uh, for about you know for those 45 years, our goal was to broaden access um, to the humanities through um, small grants um, to historical societies, museums, senior centers, and you know it was just great work. We supported exhibits and book discussion groups, but. About four or five years ago, we started to really think through how we could make an impact in a different way. And for those of you listening, you might be thinking about um, uh, um, uh, how that this is similar to um, where you may be too, um, that you want to make a difference. And we wanted the humanities to play a much more integrated role in communities. So it touched people who wouldn't ordinarily go to a local library or museum to experience the humanities. And we looked around Pennsylvania, and we could see that communities in Pennsylvania were struggling. Um, and we saw that we could help by guiding them to put the humanities in action as tools for long-term and positive change. Um, and you know, this was a this was a different approach for us. We chose to put people first and trust in them to guide the way. This was a new way of thinking, and it was risky. It took courage and leadership to step out of our comfort zone, and it meant trying new ways of doing things and looking to other sectors to help with our work. It meant partnering with all kinds of different individuals and organizations we'd never worked with and letting go, and I think that's the important part, uh, letting go of some control to see more clearly uh, and actually better work with the people we serve. So we started in Pennsylvania um, uh, with this work. Um, I had the honor um, and, and privilege, and I'm continuing to work um, with a small city of Chester, uh, which is um, about 20 minutes um, outside of Philadelphia. And um, uh, we really learned how uncommon partners, um, and here are some of the partners um, uh, that we've worked with, uh, mayor's office, the city planner, uh, university dean, artists, entrepreneurs, community leaders, and the State Humanities Council could come together around a common desire to rebuild um, what is in Chester a distressed and violence-torn community um, and engage the citizens and the community in making change themselves rather than waiting for change to happen to them. And we used, um, uh, um, when we came together, we used storytelling, what we see as the heart and soul of the humanities, to bring people together to identify their assets and values and then plot a plan for the future. So when we had this experience of doing this project in Chester, we, we knew how powerful this was, and we wanted to partner with more communities in Pennsylvania and we knew we couldn't do this alone um, to, to really take it across the state. Um, and so when we heard about the Orton Family Foundation's Community Heart and Soul Method, we knew it was a totally natural fit um, because Orton uses storytelling, the humanities. Although um, uh, um, I think Orton staff didn't call it the humanities at the time when we first partnered um, and started to talk about this, um, to bring people together to identify what they love about where they live and, you know, the kind of aspirations they have um, uh, in their town. So for us, you know, that storytelling was the main connector between the humanities, activating people in a community, and creating a plan of action. Um, uh, uh, you know, we love stories, and everybody loves a story. They inspire, they bind us together, and when you collect a lot of them and begin to identify themes that are common about what people care about, 
then you're creating a path together for collaboration and action. So um, when um, uh, um, we started our partnership with the um, Orton Family Foundation, we began to look for communities that we could work with. And we wanted, of course, communities that were fully invested. And we knew that for them, just like for us as an organization, change had to come from within um, and an openness um, to taking risks um, and to reaching out um, to many different people um, to bring them together. So um, uh, we went through a process um, of uh, really going across the state and uh, talking to people about the work that we were doing. Um, and uh, those people who participated in our workshops um, uh, um, applied. We went to on-site visits, and, and we found four great communities. Um, and they are um, in Carlisle. Meadville, Williamsport, and Richard James is on uh, the phone call, and he'll be he'll, he'll be talking about his experience, as well as the Germantown neighborhood um, of uh, um, in Philadelphia. And so we're right now in the early stages of working these communities um, and partnering, but we are so impressed with uh, everyone's work so far, because you know it's. It's clear to us that, you know, besides using um, the tools of the humanities like storytelling, it's, it's those strong partnerships um, that, um, in a community that are really making things happen um, in those um, communities. And I think Carlisle is a great example. Uh, we're uh, partnering with the Greater Carlisle Project, um, a nonprofit that brings all kinds of different groups together. Um, they were uh, Carlisle was attractive to us because um, uh, they brought so many different groups under an umbrella to do their project. So you have grassroots um, uh, organizations that represent sometimes um, underserved communities like Hope Station, Opportunity Area, as well as established groups like Dickinson College or Chamber of Commerce. And also, there's humanities organizations involved in the project. There's the library, the historical society. And in fact, the director of the project, um, uh, Lindsay Howe, is a historian. She's a humanities scholar, and she's dedicated to using the insight of um, history and humanities to inform the action plan for the future. So, you know, what, what we have seen is that, you know, it's those incredible partnerships with so many different organizations that have allowed um, the, uh, um, uh, the, the project to really take off with storytelling. They've been everywhere because they have relationships with so many different groups. You know, Black History Month, they went to a, a neighborhood cleanup event, a block party. They're, they're collecting stories everywhere, and um, I checked on the last count. They've, they've collected over 600 so far. And they've been learning about what people love most from, you know, uh, um, area wildlife, farmer's markets, local history, um, that they love their places downtown, the local library. And we've also learned um, what they're afraid of losing in the community. And what's most important to people is keeping, um, it's that culture and history, what makes Carlisle, Carlisle. Um, you know, Lindsay, uh, I, I, we spoke with her recently, and, and, and she really shared some of the most compelling stories that I've, you know, recently heard. Um, and uh, I think, you know, one thing that um, sums up what a lot of people think is that, um, and I quote, I think I value a community presence more than anything else. It's the people themselves, people caring for each other. Um, and you know, I can I can tell you more stories, but I know we want to we want to hear from um, the other guests. So I, you know, I just want to, in closing, want to emphasize um, that you, you, we couldn't do this humanity based, humanities based community work effectively without those strong partnerships um, with groups like Greater Carlisle Project. And and Richard James is going to you know tell you about um, uh, what's happening in Williamsport. Um, I think it's, you know, working, working closely, um, many times across sector, um, and we're an example of that in our partnership with the Orton Family Foundation is what, um, really, um, allows you to, um, expand what you do, um, and really focus on what matters most. Um, so. <laughs> thank thank you. you so much, Lori. That, it, it's really great to, to, uh, at this larger scale, and you also bring it down to a small scale, that there are partnerships at all levels. 
um, that that enrich everything that that we're doing and support what we're doing. So thank you for that kind of getting getting us into the topic. Absolutely. For letting me know that the home of the slinky in it is. A, <laughs> <laughs> we're proud of it too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, we're going to move on to uh, somebody who's been at this for quite some time. Her name is Delilah Papour. She worked for 14 years in the college and university setting, focusing on community building and equity. She then consulted with nonprofits and educational institutions on strategic planning and organizational change, often with her firm, Dialogue Consultants. In 2011, Delilah became the executive director of a Main Street program called Heart of Biddeford, shepherding the final stages of a heart and soul process and then bringing the downtown master plan to completion, as well as implementing the plan in this former mill town in Maine. Delilah, it's terrific to have you here with your perspective of a town that did a heart and soul project, what, almost four years ago, and what continues to evolve in terms of partnerships and moving forward from that time. So. Go ahead and tell us your fabulous story, Delilah. Okay, thank you, Fran. I hope I'll be able to drill down a little bit more specifically into how one community's process worked. I'm kind of following up on Lori there. Uh, my name is Delilah, and I work at the Heart of Biddeford. I moved to Maine um, about nine years ago, and the heart and soul process was happening in Biddeford, and I would read about it in the paper and then find some opportunities to get slightly involved in it, you know, participate in a focus group here or there. Um, but that is definitely how I got to know Biddeford more because of this heart and soul process. And then in 2011, the position opened up for the director, so I was able to get very involved. But that heart and soul process in Biddeford, um, this is a town, it's a post-industrial city with decades and decades of mill closures, um, a lot of well-placed distrust uh, within the community because of, you know, great job losses and watching their beloved downtown, you know, become just all kinds of vacancies and blight going on. So this process um, did something very important, which was get uh, people involved, particularly by um, having them tell their stories. Uh, most significantly, I think, the high school students interviewing their grandparents about their immigration stories and about life in the mills and the simultaneous process of the high school students um, learning what their grandparents loved about this town and also the grandparents feeling like, wait a minute, as the future comes, they're maybe not going to leave me behind. Um, and that's just one example of the type of storytelling that happened, but it was at festivals and in um, signs around town, and we were developed what matters most, the values of the community, and then importantly, it was tied to a product, the downtown master plan. And um, I think that's a really key part for Biddeford anyway, that it went from the idealistic and the value stage to the plan. And then by the end of my five minutes here, hopefully I'll be able to tell you about the results of that implementation of that plan. Uh, but today's call is really on partnerships. And um, Heart of Biddeford is one of the Main Street programs, part of Main Street America. Um, and all Main Street programs are supposed to be guided by, uh, it's called a three-legged stool, uh, that you have the municipality that you partner with, the business community, and also community members. So whether that's residents, uh, employees in the downtown, visitors to the area, and of course all the community organizations. Um, Lori's mentioned some of them, but you know, the library, arts organizations, social services, the housing authority. Um, so it's how we're supposed to do business uh, as a Main Street. We're supposed to have partnerships. But um, I think some of that uh, can happen you know, better and worse in the community, and we were very fortunate in our kind of forming stage to have this process help us really uh, draw on, actually create relationships among all those, and particularly the city. Um, I think through the heart and soul process, we increased our ability uh, to be good or desirable partners. Um, the, we became the organization that was the holder of the community vision, that we'd listened in 36 community meetings to more than 350 people who came out. We had booths at festivals and fairs, and we'd heard from people. So when we were saying, you know, here's the vision for the downtown, it wasn't 
because six people who own businesses in the downtown thought this was good. It was because we were drawing upon the values, what, what matters most to, to a pretty broad cross-section of the community. Um, and I think we also have become a valuable partner because of our ability to mobilize volunteers, get things done, and leverage grants. Um, but how we particularly were able to partner with the city, um, it's a really big thing to create a plan together. So after all of that values generation happen, happened, we were saying, so how are we going to, you know, we asked people, and then we had all these community meetings in City Hall to ask people, so how would you like to have an impact on all of these areas? And people um, got to weigh in, and we created a plan. And it's kind of funny to think, of course, the city staff, you know, has plenty of opportunities to say what their ideas are. But in a way, they don't. If there isn't a political will for some of those ideas to come forward, they never do. So imagine the city planner saying, I really think this idea is important, and um, getting to just chat about that with lots of people over many weeks and have that idea get fleshed out more and then ending up in a plan together. So Heart of Biddeford and the you know, community members involved um, became more of a supporting partner to the city um, and the city plans, especially some of the idealistic ones that didn't always have, um, like I said, the political will to carry things through. There was one particularly difficult issue in our town um, in the 80s when, um, you know, there was what you might call no hope for the downtown. Um, an idea came through to put a trash incinerator in the center of the downtown on the river, and uh, it went through. And so for decades we had um, trash trucks coming into the downtown every single day and, you know, random explosions happening in the uh, incinerator and, uh, you know, a really, really terrible smell wafting through the air. Uh, plus, people's concerns, uh, whether they were founded or not, that maybe there were toxins being released into the air. So it's really difficult to do downtown revitalization when there's those kinds of fears going on. But it was the city's largest taxpayer, and it had 80 jobs in it. So tell a community with a difficult economic forecast that they should lose 80 jobs and their highest taxpayer, and you, it's very hard to get political will for that. But after doing storytelling and listening to people, um, you know, and this was the, the wish of many of the city staff and many of the political figures, but there wasn't a way to bring it forward. But as we had these shared values talked about, that people did love the downtown, they loved their memories of coming here when police had to be out on the streets to help people cross because there were so many people walking on Friday nights. Uh, when Mike Riley, whose family has owned the bakery on Main Street for now, you know, 115 years, came forward and said we need to reinvest back in our downtown, people realized that this wasn't a wish of one political party or a particular, you know, group of people. It was that people wanted their city back, their downtown, and a place that was family-friendly and good for business and a place you could walk around and enjoy the beauty of this place as well. And so um, as we were uh, within the first year after the Heart and Soul process, the the land was purchased that that um, trash incinerator was on and closed down and that required a $5 million investment from the city. Um, and I I believe that it is partly because we were able to have all those diverse voices come forward and say, not like this is the right way and the you know trash incinerator is the wrong way, but that we need compatible businesses in the downtown if we're going to revitalize the heart of this city. And that's a different conversation, and it did take it out of sort of the it's good to lose jobs. No, of course it isn't, you know. And um, since that's closed, you know, a hundred jobs in the adjoining mill that's being revitalized have been um, started. I don't, I can't say that they pay the exact same as what was in the trash incinerator, but it's a new, the new economy is um, building because that old economy that had uh, environmental concerns is gone. Um, so mobilizing people in support of city goals, they came to see us as more um, of a partner. We were able to leverage grant funds. 
um, and certainly mobilized volunteers. You know, as we, through the process, we realized our parks were important, but they were not being able to be um, maintained. So we mobilized 11 groups to adopt the parks in the downtown. Um, and so the city definitely sees a value in um, a relationship with a, a nonprofit and with a Main Street organization, and then they also help us with our goals um, and support the revitalization of the city. I think our um, efforts were have always been aimed at relationships rather than we'll do this for you if you do this for us, and you know, and then it's a us them going on. But really trying to listen and understand. Um, first, being the first one to do that. Uh, there's there's times that people kind of judge the municipality for being slow or uh, why do they keep having, you know, meetings about this? Why don't they just get things done, especially in the uh, entrepreneur community or business community, wondering, you know, we need a parking structure. Just build it. Well, you actually have to build community will and a political will for that. And so um, being the organization that also says, the city has to work at the speed of trust, and we have to be behind them in making that happen. So we've been able to slowly and steadily move projects along that, you know, if you just approach them with haste or judgment, we'll, we'll just die die on the vine, I think they call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know all the, all the, all the people and the, the, that need to be talked to. That's uh, right. You're, you, you help, like, this would be a good partner for you, or this would be the, the perfect person to talk to here. Definitely connecting people all the time. Connectors. Sorry, go ahead. Do you want me to – I think I would just jump to maybe one more thing about um, the partnerships that – as I mentioned at the beginning, it's a you know it's a difficult job to revitalize a city that has so much distrust and and probably well placed distrust, um, and there are times where you know criticism really rises for any almost for anyone who tries to lead because how could that possibly lead to good things where we've been hopeless so long you know um, and what's been great is being able to refer back to this process and say you know we understand the distrust and we you know we want to meet and hear about your concerns but if you're not willing to meet and talk um, we are going to keep moving forward because we have you know a diverse group of 360 people who came and talked for two years about this and we're, we're following through on that um, Merck closing was a big deal, and oh, that's the trash incinerator. And since that time, we've had a huge increase in downtown residential housing, uh, almost 40% reduction in the vacancy rate on Main Street. The Riverwalk um, is really just coming along with many new pieces added to it. A um, couple more bullets here. Half of the 1.2 million square feet of mill space is now built out or leased. Um, and most of that has happened uh, in the majority of that has happened in the last five years. Um, there are new niches of businesses, including restaurants that are getting in national magazines. Um, we've got a lot more millennials um, and uh, retirees seeking that urban environment in our downtown. And um, there's just a whole lot more people to collaborate collaborate with. And uh, even when there are two steps back that happen, sometimes people feel like we're still on a process moving forward. Thank you so much, Delilah. And, and I can attest, being um, in the Northeast, that people are going, what's going on in Biddeford? Boy, stuff is happening there. You know, they, it's uh, it's very exciting. People are, are really recognizing that something very special is, is happening and has happened there. And one of my other favorite stories is, is there is a rival town of Sacco across the river, which you've also, the town of Biddeford, has partnered with Sacco for regional public relations and, and, and marketing effort, right? which was totally unprecedented. Especially Never since spoke. they were the mill owners and we were the mill workers over here, and that divide still exists. Um, but now we, I guess, again, it's that we are a strong partner that people would, businesses and communities would want to partner with, and hmm. we're in, ending up leading the way in those partnerships a lot of times. Right. It's, it's awesome. Thank you so much, Delilah. Thank you. And uh, now we have Richard James. He is a retired graphic artist, but he continues to maintain a very busy schedule by volunteering for various civic organizations, including um, as a member of Heart of Williamsport's Heart and Soul team and the beloved Community Council. Richard's civic activities include founding the Billtown Film Festival, 
designing collateral materials for the Williamsport uh, Lycoming, I hope that's the right pronunciation, Williamsport Lycoming Main Street organization, serving on the Brandon Park and Shade Tree Commissions, and publishing an online newsletter to promote greater racial harmony in the Williamsport community. Richard, thank you so much uh, for joining us because you're you're really um, on the ground and uh, doing wonderful work already in Williamsport, which is a very new heart and soul community. I know that you've been at this for a while. So could you share a bit about your community in Pennsylvania and how you're developing partnerships and what a difference those partnerships might be making? Well, I want to say thank you for uh, giving me this opportunity. And I, I, I need to tell Delilah that I'm, I think I'm going to move to your town. It sounds mm -hmm. wonderful there. Have I got um, a will be upset about that? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, let me, I, I have a prepared statement here that I can conceptualize this. Uh, my name is Richard James. I'm almost 70 years old. I'm a Vietnam-era veteran. I'm a writer, an artist, an amateur filmmaker, and an African-American man. I am a member of a group called the Beloved Community Council, as was said before, uh, our purpose uh, at the, with the council is to create opportunities of dialogue in the community. Uh, my friend Mary Woods, a fellow member of the council, and myself were invited to a, a meeting, a, a webinar uh, that included the Orton Family Foundation, the Pennsylvania Humanities Council, the Susquehanna Greenway Partnership, and the newly formed Heart of Williamsport. At the meeting, I was informed about the program, and I have to admit, with so many Larrys in the players in the game, I was a little confused, uh, and I was also a bit suspicious. In a room of 20 to 25 people, many of them were very influential on the local scene. I was the only person of color. It is not, but this is not unusual. I often, I often find myself. Uh, very much the minority at most civic functions. While I like the concept of enabling unheard voices to speak and to express themselves, I also was somewhat cautious. But the fact that I was included at all was a good sign. I don't consider myself to be the token Negro, but I see myself as the first of many that will participate in the process. Ultimately, I learned to trust the leadership of the project. Uh, Heart of Williamsport uh, Project Director Alice Trowbridge is a very compassionate and thoughtful woman with a firm grasp of administrative details. She has managed to pull together a creative pool of talent. I think that, her, uh, was, uh, that our website and videos reflect her capacity to lead. In a short span of time, Williamsport has taken uh, notice of our efforts and, in, and within our first seven months of, of our first year. Our success is also due to the partnerships that we have formed. We are supported by the usual suspects like the City of Williamsport and Lycoming County. But we also have the uh, hands-on heritage, a, uh, a, a, a history of humanities uh, organization, uh, our Arts Alliance, our First Fridays organization, uh, Penn Strategies, and Lycoming College has also stepped up to the plate. Through my studying of Dr. King's life and philosophy uh, my and my work with the beloved Community Council, I recognize that all social actions begin with a conversation. Without exchange of ideas and opinion, there is no growth, no opportunities for improvement. My question in these early days were, are these folks really real? Or is it just more BS uh, that looks good on paper but has a little effect in the real world? I continuously evaluated the project's leadership and eventually came to the conclusion that their intentions were authentic. One example of this is our editing of video interviews of the citizens of Williamsport. Most of the videos are your typical fluff pieces extolling the virtues of our marvelous city, but we also include truthful commentary on the state of race and gender relations. 
We made sure that unheard voices were heard. We did not do, uh, we, we did not do, uh, we did not have to do that. And I was hooked. Now let me tell you a little about, about Lansport, Pennsylvania. This is my opinion, does not necessarily reflect the position of the heart of Lansport or the beloved community council or any other organization. Today is August 18th, 2016, and Winsport is a, truly an international city. The Little League World Series has begun. Yesterday, the yearly Grand Slam Parade passed by my window. It is estimated that 30,000 people line up along the city's main thoroughfare to see visiting teams on parade floats. The parade lasts about two hours. At a glance, an outsider will see a city rich in diversity, but there are problems. We cast an image of, of being America's hometown, complete with old-fashioned patriotic symbolism in a 1950s nostalgia. But digging past the surface, we see a city that has two distinct cultures, one white, one black, one rural, one urban, one affluent and one poor. Many old-time residents believe that Williamsport has never had any racial problems until the influx came. Uh, that's a, a group of uh, people from the uh, from the cities, the inner cities, uh, about 20 or 30 years ago. Uh, the situation was so intense back then that it made national news. For instance, the Hendersonville North Carolina Times News newspaper picked up the AP report with the headline, Little League Town, Town is Now a Haven for Drug Addicts. That was in June 15, 1992. Such negative headlines is unwanted. The Little League playoffs brings about a million dollars into the region every year. So talk about crime, poverty, race issues, or drug problems is definitely not encouraged. So the heart of Williamsport, in my opinion, is attempting to swim upstream uh, uh, and to create what Dr. King called a creative tension. By giving voice to the unheard, we are allowing uh, the existence of another reality and imagining a greater vision of inclusiveness and plurality. That's why I signed on to the project. I trust this leadership not have faith in its stated goals. So the uh, what the heart of Williamsport has has done so far in our seven months is pulled together uh, uh, diverse organizations uh, and put us all in one room and said, let's go out and find out what the people really think. And so far, and we've gotten uh, over. 600, 700 responses on what we call uh, rat cards and uh, 70 uh, video in interviews. And uh, what, we, what we thought we were going to hear, we didn't hear. We, we thought we were going to hear a lot of negativity. You know, uh, but actually, people love the city. They, they love the surroundings. They, um, uh, uh, and they're, they're very happy. Uh, and so the... So while there are some problems, for the most part, we are well ahead of the game in terms of, of uh, creating uh, a, a greater sense of place, and, and uh, 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 we just need now to give the opportunity for those people that choose not to speak up, uh, we want to give them the platform to speak, and I, I think we're well on our way. Fantastic. Richard, thank you so much for that. It sounds like you indeed are really on your way, um, and I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of work still to be done, but, um, but what, a, what a great story and a, and a terrific start. So thank you very much. We, um, we have a couple questions here, so I'd like to get right to them. We've, uh, we've got um, about another 20 minutes, so this is terrific. Let me see. Someone wrote in from Massachusetts who is interested in building momentum for giving towards a capital campaign for an historic building to be used as a community flexible space after school programming, adult art education, community meetings, art studio space, etc. So 
I'm wondering, uh, Delilah, since you've been involved in some of these larger projects, how would you advise creating partnerships for building momentum for large-scale projects like this? I think you've been involved in the SACO Biddeford Bridge and, and bringing in a number of different partners to actually make these actions uh, happen. Go ahead. Okay, I think I have a kind of a big picture answer first. You know, um, I think it's really important to have a clear, exciting vision that people can buy into. Um, that if you're, you know, saying kind of join us because we're working towards something, it's really hard to get people on board. But if you can really make it real and visible, um, you know, there's so many things now you can do either uh, through digital media or, you know, in a space where you're putting up. I remember. Um, you remember, like, blackboards, chalkboards you can put up with questions on it, lots of colorful things, and people can write their answers on it. Those kinds of things um, just kind of build that excitement, actually, specifically about building for a capital cam campaign for a historic building. I really think you should make cookies in the shape of that building. And um, <laughs> that's just me right now. <laughs> um, but I think, in general, about building momentum is you do need to see some results. Uh, people need to see results along the way, even if it's that a blog post got published, that letters to the editor were in the paper, um, that uh, you know funds have been raised, or that there's a matching campaign going on. Um, I think that it's easy, much easier for people to buy into things if, first of all, they've got a vision that's real and realistic in that sense, and that results are being seen toward it. Um, and then, lastly. Um, as many community partners as possible and asking them where they see themselves in in the project. Great, where they fit and yep. how they can help. Yep. Great, thank you. Uh, the next question is, could you please detail any experience you have partnering with your municipal governments to expand contracting, labor, job opportunities to people of color and local regional small businesses like minority women's business enterprises? This is from Dana in Wisconsin. So I, I'm wondering, Lori, if, if you can take this on about how partnerships or what kind of partnerships can best expand opportunities for people of color or other minorities. Well, you know, I can I could tell you about um uh our experience. I think in particular in Chester has been um uh um I think a really important and unique one. Um it, it's a you know, it is a um a community um that is um uh uh, uh majority is African American, uh Latino, um uh, uh white um Caucasians are actually a minority in the community. Um, and um, it's a it's a community where, um, interestingly, um, uh, uh, the community after coming together um, said we're not going to turn to government um, to um, make the changes that we can make for ourselves. Um, and uh, as part of the process, um, uh, when um, we have been in Chester, um, what we have found is that. Um, uh, there, um, artists and entrepreneurs, um, you know, took things in their own hands. Um, and as part of the process, the community said, step aside government um, and, and let the people um, uh, of the community um, uh, take ownership, in particular of the downtown, um, to um, transform it. And what has happened um, in that community um, has been government has been supportive, um, but it's not um, been necessarily in dollars or um, uh, they've not, um, uh, you know, um, made the changes, but the community has. Um, and they've been supported um, uh, uh, by um, local government um, in all of in all of their efforts um, as, as they have built up um, uh, the downtown themselves and become um, not only the owners um, uh, but also um, uh, um, the ones that are contracting um, others um, and providing um, business opportunities for people who are looking for jobs in construction um, um, as part of the rebuild. So it's a, a different kind of story of of, of government um, 
working hand in hand, but um, uh, doing so to um, support um, local business um, and the community um, uh, um, doing uh, a rebuild themselves. Terrific. Thank you. Uh, the the next question is, uh, how do you help communities create a sense of place and a reason for community? Uh, we'll start with Richard. Uh, the other two women might have something to add to this, but it's really interesting about how do you even create that sense of place? Some people don't even think about it. Um, so there's, there's a real reason to come together and a reason to have a create a sense of place and community. Richard, thoughts about that? Uh, yes, thank you, uh, Andrew, for such a great question that I, I thought about it earlier today, and I wrote something uh, that I, I think might apply. I, I said, how do we promote values of sharing and cooperation in a society that encourages rugged individualism? I would remind people that the power of community uh, during times of disaster we would, I would remind people that our very survival depends on us working together. The recent flooding in Louisiana, the hurricanes at Katrina and Sandy, the massive tornadoes, the wildfires, the, the blizzards, and the events of 9-11 remind us that the import, there is an importance of, of working together. Every human that has ever lived has shared this tiny blue speck that orbits our exceptional star in a typical galaxy in an incredible universe. So uh, once you put it in perspective of who we are, you know, the, uh, the whole Earth is, is really one single community, so, uh, and, and that we, we have to work together. It, it's, it's, uh, we, we can work, to, if we don't work together, uh, we'll, we'll be at our own peril. So right. I think and, and Richard, I need you to talk a little bit closer to your device. And, okay. Uh, I, I, I hear you that it's certainly in times of disaster we begin to understand what community means, but we yeah. understand it at other times too to be prepared for that kind of disaster even. Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, be uh, proactive. Uh, and so the yeah, I, I think I, I'm not sure whether I answered Andrew's question, but it did touch my my thoughts. Touched in that vein that we uh, we often forget that uh, uh, during times when everything is great, we go our own separate ways. But uh, if we can remember that uh, disaster is is right could be right around the corner at any time, uh, and th and that's when our our greatest humanity shows up. Right. Thank you so much. I'm. I'm gonna I'm gonna move on unless and we're gonna come to the live well, Maybe you want to add to that, but I'm gonna throw this question out to you, which is uh, the fifth one is is the question, what can I do for you, or is the question, this is what I need. What are the questions that you ask? Basically, Tim from Virginia is asking, what are the questions that you ask when you're forming partnerships and relationships? Well, I, I really like that question because I was going to answer, oh, it's this one, and then I was going to answer, oh, no, I guess it's that one, and then I realized it's it's a third question, um, not what can I do for you or what can you do for me, um, but what can we do for the shared vision? Mm. What shared values do we have that we can each work toward? And that way it doesn't become, I'm going to take a step for you, now you, oh, you better take a step for me. Because most of the time, my organization is just saying, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? And we're, we're doing it, or what can I do for the big picture, I should say, or what can we do for the vision? And we keep doing it. And we're not doing it for somebody to say thank you or to pay us money. Um, it's because we're, we're going toward the, the main goal. And mm -hmm. what happens is we actually are getting grants and we are getting more support from the municipality and we're getting a heck of a lot more volunteers um, but it's not because we're uh, this or that quid pro quo. It's um, let's we've created this shared vision. Let's work toward it. Does that answer that? Terrific. And and I know Laura, you you also had some thoughts ab about this question. Yeah, you know, it, this is something we um, uh, hear um, at the Pennsylvania Humanities Council talk a lot about. 
um, and uh, we're often um, heard to say um, that um, it's not about what I can do for you, but what I can do with you. Um, and it's it, it's exactly um, uh, what Delilah is talking about. Um, and you know, as a state humanities um, uh, organization, we were always looking at the state of what could we do for the state. Um, and, uh, and 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 we realized that that wasn't the right question. Um, it was what could we do um, uh, um, alongside with partners in the state um, to make a long-term sustained difference. Um, when you begin to work with someone, it's going to live beyond you. Um, and you know, for us as a grant maker, um, uh, um, we're about building a movement um, that is going to you know sustain beyond us. Um, and when you work with people um, uh, um, to make that happen, um, leaders are going to come forward and carry that movement um, uh, forward beyond you. Great. So clearly, asking the right question is important. And, um, and significant. So, so, Tim, thank you for that question. Uh, there are two kind of related questions. I'm going to go back to, to Richard. A listener in Maine asks, how do we sell this process or effort in an angry community? And you certainly talked about trust, um, because I just want to add in this, this other, I think it's so related that I'm going to just bring it in here, Richard, before we hear from you. Um, from Washington State, um, she Pat asks, how do you foster a functional trust level among members of groups that usually don't partner and don't have a history of partnering? And you certainly uh, needed to feel that trust even to get involved with this heart and soul process. So you've felt this for, for you know, are people being authentic? You talked about authentic intentions. You know about this pretty well. So I'm going to go to you again about, you know, kind of this question of how, how do you sell this process in, a, in an angry community where there isn't much trust? Uh, yes. Uh, it's, it's a little uh, – can you hear me well? It's a little, yes, just a little bit Thank you. Uh, yeah, as we look at the headlines that are playing out across the country – uh, and we see that there's a lot of anger out there and a lot of distrust. And uh, so how I'm going to answer this question is, is, is I have no clue. But uh, I think the, one of the first things that we can start with is, uh, you know, engaging in conversation. And we, and we, need, we should not be afraid of that. Uh, so, so the conversation may be uncomfortable. Uh, and it may be offensive at times, but it's absolutely necessary. So, um, uh, so if we can get past the fact that the uh, angry people are somewhat scary, uh, if we can get past that and get them into the room and, and actually have a conversation that is respectful and civil, uh, we might learn that there are many more shared things that we have in common than, than, than our dissimilarities. Um, I, I, I wrote that uh, uh, maybe sell is not the most appropriate word. Uh, I wouldn't sell the concept. I would live it. And to be authentic, uh, angry people uh, are, generally have legitimate grievances, so I wouldn't make any promises that I couldn't keep. Uh, I would be vulnerable and sincere in my approach. Uh, and I'm be willing to take the hit uh, and then shake it off and come back with compassion and understanding and love. I would demonstrate uh, my commitment to the concept, and I would have faith in the program. I would walk the walk, not just talk the talk. Uh, eventually, the anger will dis dis uh, dissipate and trust will be established, but it's going to be a long haul. Uh, this is not a quick and easy fix. Uh, especially if the uh, grievances are, you know, generational in nature, you know, maybe decades or hundreds of years. So it's it's going to take a it's a long term process, and I think uh, the heart and soul uh, uh, concept uh, uh, leads us to a greater understanding of who we are as a people. So uh, just getting some people down in the room. Let them vet, let them go off, and, and still st and still be there. 
mm-hmm. would be the first mm-hmm. step to, to getting that trust. Being being heard is is step one. Yeah, I'm really listening. Thank you so much. Uh, this is a this is a process that does not things don't happen overnight, but in the long haul, things do begin to shift if you stick with it. Thank you so much, Richard. Um, we have we have one more question, and I, um, we are we are coming almost to the end of our program, so I'll move to it. Which is what are options for funding the staff positions that coordinate these kinds of initiatives, or are they coordinated primarily by unpaid volunteers? So this is this whole funding for staff positions and or working with unpaid volunteers. It's from John in Pennsylvania. Lori, do you want to take a stab at that first? Um, sure. Now, you know, I'm looking at this from uh, a, a grant maker's perspective um, and um, a partner of the Orton Family Foundation. We really, you know, that that um, that position, um, the uh, project director position, is critical to this process. Um, uh, and um, we've really approached it um, here in Pennsylvania as a as a as a paid position, or if um, it's one in an organization um, that um, other duties are moved off, and that that has to be fully supported um, um, because um, in order to form partnerships, you need someone to be able to um, uh, really manage them um, and to bring people together. Um, so we really look at um, you know our role. We're a grant maker but we partner with other um, uh, grant makers in order to um, build um, uh, the support um, for a community. Um, uh, um, the dollars from the Pennsylvania Humanities Council cannot do it alone. And so we're lo- we look for um, uh, other grant makers or other uh, agencies that have similar interests um, to collectively um, support a community. Uh, so we partner, uh, for instance, with um, uh, state agencies, um, particular, particularly ones, um, and uh, you know we're um, exploring that right now with state agencies, uh, 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 community economic development, ones that um, focus on natural resources, uh, preservation, and support of governments, but also uh, community foundations, um, and. And we think um, that a process like this is one um, where um, collectively um, grant makers can come together um, uh, to make an investment in a community um, uh, um, for the long haul. Um, and um, by having those, that kind of collective support, um, uh, you're going to um, be able to continue to sustain um, efforts even beyond um, the uh, heart and soul process. Terrific. Well, we hope there are other grant makers like you. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, much, much wonderful wisdom has been shared uh, today. I'd like to have each of our guests very briefly um, give us, you know, that last thought since we're so near the end of the hour. So I want to open this this for uh, final thoughts from from you. What can people do to get going on powerful relationships? or what's important to sustain them. Um, so, Delilah, we haven't heard from you for a minute, so why don't you, what, what, is, what are your thoughts that have been churning here that we, we haven't heard about par- partnerships and, and uh, how, to, how to use them best? Well, I, I really like what Richard said a couple of minutes ago about um, acknowledging that sometimes uh, divides that are going on go back generations, maybe hundreds of years, and that certainly impacted things here. And so... Um, when you're doing small, tangible, forward-moving actions, keeping in mind that it's it's amazing that any forward movement happens considering the force of, you know, sometimes hundreds of years of history. So um, I think not ignoring the impact of that history, but naming it, putting it out there, saying it's been difficult, uh, makes a big difference. Um, and it doesn't solve everything, but it does help. Thank you, Delilah. And, and and Richard, your final thoughts. I am just happy to be have this thing over with. I was very nervous, and uh, I, I'm, as soon as this thing ends, I'm going to uh, have a nice cold drink of water. <laughs> Well, your your input was incredibly valuable, so I'm so glad that you did make it through and that you joined us today. Thank you so much, Richard. 
Thank you. Uh, Lori, any final thoughts from you? Um, yes. You know, one um, when I started in this, in this process, um, it was funny. Um, I was a, a new executive director here, and somebody gave me um, a, a book um, by a fellow Philadelphian, uh, Tina Fey, called Bossy Pants. <laughs> and, so, and they said to me, now, now that you're the boss, you, maybe you can learn something from this book. Um, and um, I laughed a lot, but what I, what I learned, because I was actually, you know, involved in a number of different projects, and she um, said um, the, the importance of improvisation uh, and, and saying and um, and being able to carry that um, to the next step, um, that partnerships are an improvisation and a big part of it is letting go and being able to say not but, but and, and moving it to the next level so that both of you can um, uh, continue to grow and create something together. Great. Well, thank you. Uh, Lori Zierer, thank you for joining us today. It was great to hear from you and get your perspective. Mm-hmm. And Delilah Papoor, thank you for your inspiring stories. Thank you so much. And thank you, Richard, for your insights. Your perspectives are so important for all of us today. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. And I hope you enjoy your cool glass of water, (laughs) all of you. And thanks for all of our listeners for joining on our call today. Please just take a few minutes to fill out a very brief survey about this call by clicking on the link at the top of the Google Doc in the announcements section so we can make adjustments or enhance what we're doing for you. A podcast of this call and the Google Doc call notes will be emailed around and posted online in the next few days. We hope you join us for our next Orton Family Foundation event on Thursday, September 29th, when we talk about engaging the arts in heart and soul with creative folks who have found meaningful ways to use the arts to get residents involved in their community. Thank you all for participating. We hope you walk away with inspiration about what partnerships inspired by Community Heart and Soul can do for your town. For all of us at the Orton Family Foundation, I'm Fran Stoddard. Hope to see you next time. Bye-bye.